Hello, and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. Well, let me open up with prayer. And, um, you know, I appreciate you guys coming to... Uh, most of y'all probably came to hear Daniel, but you got me. So, <laughs> um, But, um, you know, you will hear the word of the Lord. So, Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, uh, that we get to come and get together and celebrate your victory, your love for us, God. And I just pray that... Um, you would prepare our hearts for your message, um, that even the the specific sentences, the specific words that people need to hear now, Father, may they be spoken in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that your word is unbroken and that you are our victorious leader. So, Lord, I just pray that you would lead me in this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, let me... Uh, Change my settings on my phone. I'm not as fancy. I use a phone instead of a nice laptop, but it's trying to turn off on me as I do it. So, gotta change my display. All right, there we go. Oh, welcome, guys. So, you know, when I was trying to come up with this message, you know, I was like, you know, hey, Lord, what's your heart? Uh, for the Hoff for this this week, and um, I just kept feeling and seeing like like miracles and and his love like spreading like wildfire throughout the city yes. and um, I was like lord what is what does that mean what do you, how do I communicate that and I felt his desire for his love to flow out, and then I saw uh, this vision and i I saw a a heart um, Somebody with a heart, like the doors of their heart were open and this heart was exploding out with, with light and, and touching so many people. And they were responding with, with joy and, and, and freedom. And I, I, when I was like, okay, you know, looking at this heart, I saw Philippians 2.3. I said, you know, what's that? Uh, I know, you know, Philippians, but I was like, you know, specifically, I didn't know what that scripture was uh, referring to. But this is the scripture. And I just want you guys, when you listen to this, we're not we're going to go into uh, the story of Luke 19, uh, the story of Zacchaeus. Um, But um, just keep this this verse in mind as we go through it. It says uh, it's Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. And um, the big thing that I really stuck out to me is esteeming others as greater than yourself. And, you know, I guess when I looked at that, I thought of it like, you know, almost in, in a uh, positioning type of uh, way of like, oh, he's, he's, he's more valuable than me. But I think that a better way of, of seeing that is, is valuing, valuing others more than yourself. Mm-hmm. Valuing, loving others more than you, you worry or think about yourself. Um, let nothing be done in, in selfish ambition, but rather let us build up one another. Let us look on, onto each other's um, needs. And uh, God himself, he did this. He valued 
um, everyone more than himself to the point of death, you know, and, and that's what that scripture goes on to say. And, um, you know, there's no greater love than this, but to lay your life down for, for one another. And, and, you know, we can look at that as, as physically, and I think that he is talking about that, but also we can lay down our, 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 our motives, our, our desires, what we, we want in our life, and we can um, begin to look beyond ourselves. So um, we'll look into uh, Luke 19, uh, 1 through 10. And, you know, Daniel always says, hey, watch this like a movie. And, um, you know, what he's, he's saying there is, is you know, hey, let's, let's watch this scene play out not just listen to the words but really watch this scene and one of the um the strategies that i use whenever i i read the bible is is i i put myself in first person i put myself in the perspective of each person and allow my emotions to really start to settle into how that person felt how jesus felt how uh the you know the crowd felt and, um, you know, when I was young, I, I realized, like, I guess from around, like, 13 or 14, you know, you'd watch these scary movies and they'd be so terrifying. And I realized, well, if I just don't believe it, if I just kind of, you know, disassociate myself, it's not scary anymore. And uh, that's how I was able to watch them after that. But, um, but if you allow yourself to be in the movie, if you allow yourself to your emotions to tie to it, it becomes so much more tangible. And so I just encourage you guys, as we look at Zacchaeus, put yourself in his shoes. Imagine how he might have felt. Imagine um, what, what others thought about him. Imagine how, how Jesus, um, what, he, what he was feeling when he called him out. So uh, verse 1, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. So mind you, he had just gotten... Um, just before this, he he healed a blind man who uh, everyone was telling him like, "Hey, be quiet, you know, um, stop bothering him," and he didn't listen to them, and and he called out for Jesus, and he was healed. Um, so that's an interesting, you know, pre-story to that of of this man who who chose not to listen to the public opinion, who chose not to listen to people telling him, "Hey, don't believe in that man," or I mean, maybe not don't believe, but don't bother him. You're insignificant. He's, he's on to more important things. And that's the lie that the enemy wants us to uh, think about ourselves is that we're unvaluable. We're unworthy. God doesn't have time for us. Um, but that's the exact opposite. I mean, he gave, he gave his entire life for us. So he, he said, it says he passed into, uh, through Jericho. And now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And so let's think about this man, Zacchaeus. He uh, the, the things that we know about him is, is people thought he was a sinner. It seemed to like they kind of despised him, um, that he was short, and um, that he was very successful. He was rich. And, um, you know, this, I, I imagine if, if you're, you know, we know about uh, chief tax collectors that they gain their money. So basically it was, hey, they worked for the Roman government. One, so automatically everyone thought you were a traitor because you were working for the oppressors. You know, it's like, um, you know, and um, you know, it's like if you were a Jew and you were working for the Nazis. Like, you know, everyone's going to despise you. You are in hand with the oppressor. So one is, is everyone thought he was a, a traitor. Um, they they called him a sinner. They despised him because uh, in order for you to be a, a successful tax collector. Um, you collected what was required of the government, and then you collected more. You, you collected beyond what was actually required. So you made all of your money by the oppression of others. So 
He was corrupt. He was a traitor. He was a sinner. And, um, you know, if, if everyone around you, the only, I think about uh, Zacchaeus and the only people that probably were in relationship with him were those who could gain from his, his financial influence, you know. Um, I mean, because you, if you think about, like, who wants to be friends with the guy who's stealing money? So he probably felt very isolated. He probably felt like he deserved the isolation. He, he, he probably identified himself as an outcast. And he had this value system that he built his life upon, you know, that he was, you know, I think, you know, when you're successful at something, there's, there's, a, there's an aspect of that you're building your, your value. That's what you base your life on. And based on what this is describing, the only thing it says is how tall he was, that he, what his occupation was, and that he was rich. And to me, that speaks that this was his identity, that he, he built his value upon being rich, upon his, his own success. And um, so, you know, there's a value system automatically that we see that it, that is imbalanced. Okay. And um, when we, I think about how I, I felt whenever I was an outcast, whenever I um, identified with and, and agreed, because I, my background a little bit is that I, um, I was in a lot of sin. I, uh, I actually uh, did a lot of drugs and partied and, and, but in my darkness, I, I even spoke the, the identity and the value over myself that I deserved it, that, you know, that my family not wanting to be around me, um, that people not trusting me. I, I mean, I'm, I know what I'm doing. Like, yeah, I deserve it. And so thereby I almost um, continued the identity to grow by accepting it and um, putting it over myself. But the thing about Zacchaeus's name is that it means pure. So automatically, his very name told him that he was the opposite of uh, um, corrupt. He was pure. He was honest. He was, he was holy in, in God's eyes. So um, he was perpetuating the failure of the isolation by believing the very exact lie that was spoken over him. So we'll go on. And it says, and he sought to see Jesus, or he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short uh, in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up on the sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. So Zacchaeus had this desire in his heart to see Jesus. Something in it told him, I need to see Jesus. And we need to recognize there's so many people, even us, there's this desire, if, I, if only I could see Jesus, if only I could know who Jesus is. And this is this, this cry for Abba that everyone in creation has. And so we have this man, but he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd, because of the people around him, because of the situation, the circumstances of his life. And um, so many people, they're looking for Jesus and, and we, we could be those people. We could be the ones who show them who Jesus is. And um, but everything in their life has told them that Jesus isn't who we know him to be, that Jesus is, is accusing him, that he thinks that they're sinners. They're nothing. They're they're not worth anything. They don't they don't. He doesn't have time for them. And um, but if we can uh, open our eyes to the, the cry of the inner man, of the inner woman around us, uh, there's so much opportunity at hand. So. 
When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must uh, stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And I imagine Jesus saying it like almost, one, one is Jesus didn't know his name, Jesus didn't know Zacchaeus. So there you see a word of knowledge that Jesus knew him by name. And I always, when I look at this, I imagine just based on the response and, and, and the things that follow, that Jesus almost said it like, um, like an old friend, like he's known him forever. Hey, Zacchaeus, ah, there you are, Zacchaeus. Come down. I want to stay at your house tonight. I want to spend time with you. Amen. I want to sit and eat with you. Amen. Because you're, you're my son. Amen. Because I value, I know who you are. And all Zacchaeus was trying to do is get a, a seat. And you got to imagine, I mean, there's, there's, I don't know how many people there are. There's a, a big crowd around him. Uh, there's kind of a frenzy going on. Jesus is coming into town. He's already done so many miraculous things. He just healed a man who couldn't see before. And who's, you know, that man was shouting glorious, uh, glory to God. Um, so everyone knew about what, what had just happened. And so, so many people want to see, want to touch, want to be around Jesus. And this man who everyone despises, he points him out and he says, hey, you're the one. You're you're the one I value. You're the one I want. And so, um, you know, I imagine how Zacchaeus felt like, oh, oh, you you see me? I'm seen. And he's like, yeah, I see you, son. And so um, it goes on. But when they, the crowd, saw it, they all complained, saying he has gone to be guest with a man who is a sinner Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. Mind you, he was only required by law to restore it by 1.2 times the amount. So his automatic response was, not only is he giving back um, what he stole, he's giving four times that. And then on top of that, he's giving half of his goods. So this man is going beyond what is considered retribution. And um, if you look at it, you know, the crowd's response was to judge. But that wasn't Jesus. Jesus said, I want to stay with him. I want I want to be with this. I I know who Zacchaeus is. He's pure. And um, the other thing is, is Zacchaeus became almost blind, almost deaf to the opinions of the world because he he heard what God said about him. He heard what, what the value was, who, who Jesus said he is. And uh, this is something that we can take a note for ourselves of like, when we become so built and established in who Jesus says we are, in his value, his love for us, you know, just as Jesus, when he started his ministry, I love this. The first thing that happened when he started his ministry is he heard declared over him, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this is where we're, all, we're called to start. Our ministry, our, our life, our identity, everything is built and established upon the love of God for you. Amen. And, um, and, but not only that, it, it, it makes you immune to accusation, to opinion. It makes you unstoppable to the fear of man. And that's a, sometimes a, a self um, kind of um, look upon or, or, you know, hey, where am I at, Lord? Um, is how, how affected am I by the other opinions of others, by the fear of man? How much does it hold me back from, from reaching out to somebody? And then you think about like, oh, 
you know, oftentimes I feel nervous, like, well, I don't want to make it awkward. I don't want to um, value somebody because, you know, they might think I'm weird or, or, you know, just the Rolodex of thoughts that go through. But in reality, if we if we start to realize, hey, there's people out there who are drowning and they just want a life raft. And who imagine if you threw a life raft and the guy got mad at you. And said, you know, like, you're too religious. What are you th- what are you throwing at me? Like, I don't need that. And it's like you're drowning. Like he's he's ha- they're calling out for help. They want us. Uh, they want Jesus more. More importantly. And, um, you know, so we we can become um, completely immune to false accusation. And. Um, and then you see true repentance coming out of uh, Zacchaeus, too. It wasn't hey, you're a sinner. Um, now go and pray this prayer. You're going to hell. It was, hey, Zacchaeus, I love you and I value you. I, I, I want to I be in your house. And uh, God wants to be in, in, in our house, our temples. He wants to be in there with us. And, um, you know, the true repentance comes from the love of God. It doesn't come from accusation. It doesn't come from us telling about people... Um, how worthless they are. And, you know, that's what that's how I was saved is is when I thought everyone had given up on me, had forsaken me. I thought even God had forsaken me. God said God spoke to me and he told me he no nah, in in and he changed my life. And um, we can do that for others. So just something I wrote about Zacchaeus, the love and value of God caused Zacchaeus to be blind to the accusation the value and love that Zacchaeus experienced translated Zacchaeus into freedom and caused a declaration of faith to come out of him. He repented with pride. There was no shame in his repentance, no covering, only freedom. It was almost like he was a child who was declaring the accomplishment that he said. He said, look, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. It wasn't, look, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry, I repent, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. It was, no, hey, with this freedom, with this value, I'm going to go and spread the wealth that I have. I'm going to go and, 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 and give love to the poor. He, not only that, he, he was considered worthless. He was considered an outcast. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to go and, and, and um, give to those who are considered less, who are considered insignificant, the poor. I'm going to give half of my wealth to them. And, and so this is where Jesus really hits the, the crowd and, and even can hit our hearts of um, how we think about people. And he said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And um, Jesus is basically saying, hey, this man who you thought was a sinner, who you thought was worthless, who um, you disassociated yourself from because you've classified him as other than, this is your family. This, this, this is your family who's been saved. And we have this tendency, I know that I do, of um, classifying somebody, putting people into, in classifications, into little boxes. So then it, it, um, I can disassociate myself and relieve myself from, of the responsibility to love them. As my family, as my brother, as my sister. And uh, he's also saying, hey, I didn't come to save the sinner or 
to save uh, the you know evil, wretched person. I came to, to save those who, who've lost, who've uh, lost their way. And uh, somebody who's lost, uh, they don't purposely get lost. You know, they don't know how to get back. Right? They're they're you know if you're in the woods and you get lost, it's not like. You know, we're like, oh, you idiot, you got lost. You know, how, how dare you? And we put shame on them. It's like, no, they, they don't know how to get back. They need somebody's help to bring them back. And, and Jesus is, is pointing out like, hey, I'm coming to save people who, don't, who are beyond themselves. They don't know themselves anymore. Forgive them, for they do not know. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking... You know, when I when I talk about these things, I, here's our here's the statement that I was saying: a tendency to di- dissociate by classification thereby forfeits the connection and responsibility to love. And uh, I think that um, we should be very protective of when we start to oh that's just a homeless person or oh that's just my client or oh that's just a clerk at the store. Uh, when we begin to classify, we, we put them into a position to where we don't have to engage and connect with them because there's something that is a um, almost like a um, something we can use them for or something that we don't need them for. Um, everything's a means of, of, of uh, gain or, or, or use to myself. And we're, we're called to look beyond ourselves, to value others and esteem them beyond ourselves, to to look beyond our, our needs to their needs. So how do we access this value, esteem, or love for others uh, to imp- impact and reconcile the loss? Um, well, one thing that we can do, what, the most important thing is um, to think about um, 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. We cannot love... And we can't value people if our value system is messed up, if it's improper. So um, we, we must find our value system based in the love of God. Our identity is built in Jesus. We can only recognize God's value when we know it for ourselves. So that's number one is, um, you know, and how do you do that? You, you connect to Jesus and you hear him calling you by name. And you hear him say, hey, I want to spend my, my time in your house. I want to spend time with you. And uh, then we can be immune to the accusation or, or the fear of man. We can no longer be in a place of self-preservation. Because um, self-preservation is an enemy to sincere faith and authentic love. Self-preservation is built upon fear. And, uh, you know, First John 4.18, uh, the verse before we love because he first loved, says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And um, so when we, when we live in a place of fear about what, what others think about us, if we're, in, in truth, we're, we're really thinking about um, where's my value? What if, what if my value can be deteriorated by what others think about other opinions? What if, um, but the truth is, is that we need to see that God loves us and he values us. And, and there's a, a positioning to where you get to sow, hey, God called me here. 
You know, that's what David felt. God, God established me as king. And he became unstoppable. It didn't matter if people tried to take his kingdom. He said, hey, God gave me this. If, if it's not for me, then I, I'm not going to fight for it. But if it is for me, God's going to give it to me. And, um, you know, and I think that that fear has to do with punishment is a, is a key. If we we need to trade this 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 identity or this this thought about God that he's here to punish us, that he's he's not happy with us, that he doesn't value us, that um, he had to change his mind about us by dying on the cross for us. No, he he valued us before it says that he esteemed have the same mind that Christ had for you, that he esteemed. He valued you so much that he gave his life for you. It doesn't say that he valued you once he gave his life for you. Right. So we need to we need to take this punishment off the plate so we can become perfected in love. Love has no has no there's no place for for um, condemnation. Okay. so the next thing is. um, You can only do this when your value is unshaken and everyone around you is no longer a threat to your identity. We must exchange the value systems that are not built on the love of God. The value systems that are not built on Jesus will be shaken by the voice of God and will be removed. If it can shake, it can be threatened. If it is threatened, then self-preservation will kick in. And, um, you know, in Hebrews 12, like 25, 26, it talks about how um, God will shake everything on earth in heaven. Uh, His voice will. And the voice will come to us in our vessels and, and shake. Hey, if you're feeling a shaking, if you're feeling something that doesn't uh, feel stable, it's, it's oftentimes the Lord saying, hey, that's that, that's that value system. You're not, you're not, there's a, a part of you that's not built upon what I've said about you. Yeah. The next thing we must do is we must refuse to disassociate from people by classifying them. And instead, we must see them as family. This disassociation is a defense mechanism that hardens our heart. And our, our covenant is, is a, a Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. I will give them a new heart and put a new spirit with them. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And um, these, these defense mechanisms that we choose to, to use in order to preserve our value um, actually make our hearts harder, actually take us out of the positioning of Lord, the Lord and his value for us. The, the Psalm 91, the unbreakable uh, positioning that you can't be shaken there. So um, be vigilant and um, ruthless with these de- defense mechanisms. They may not even be the disassociation. This is just the one I'm using. Um, but are there other areas in order that you, you know, one time I found myself feeling kind of um, uh, really shaky about my job because I was new at it. Um, I'm, I work in the ICU as a nurse and, you know, uh, there's this, this almost toxicity about comparing yourself to others and being the elite and, and being the best. And um, I found myself getting into that mentality of comparing my life and, you know, and, and you know, because I was newer and younger in the job, I, I lacked areas in certain. And so then I started, well, you know, but I'm winning at life. That's what I started to tell myself. I'm winning at life. I, I'm doing this. I got a, a, a beautiful wife. I, I have a great home. I, you know, I just started going through this. And then I was like, well, so-and-so is winning at life too. And the Lord said, stop. And I said, oh, <laughs> you're in this conversation? <laughs> he said, yeah. And he said, um, 
He said, uh, that's not what your life's built upon. Uh-oh. That's not what your life's built upon. Your life is built upon me. Amen. We don't build our value off that. We don't. I put you here. You remember? I'm the one who told you to go to nursing school. I'm the one who, who placed you from a, a place of homelessness and in juvenile hall and into a place of success. None of this matters. And then he told me, it's not by might nor power, but by my spirit. And I think that that's something that we need to, to recognize that everything that we are, every part of our life is built upon him. It's not by our might or by um, even um, the power that we can gain, whether strength or uh, even supernatural power, but by the spirit of the Lord are we established. So um, not only should we see those around us as family, but we should go beyond this and we should start to see them as the miracles they are. Everyone around us is a miracle created by God. And we can have the eyes of Jesus that search to and fro throughout the earth, seeking whom he may display his strength on the behalf, the ones who, who are after his own heart. And we can begin to see the beautiful creation that's around us. And we can begin to speak that value and call it out. You know, I started doing this in the nursing home um, when I first, when I was a CNA. Um, you know, because I, I felt myself get my, that heart of stone getting in and the Lord was challenging me. He said, hey, you're starting to see them as objects of your work. These are people. Remember this. Do not harden yourself. And I was like, well, Lord, how do I do this? And he said, just love them. Start to love them. And so I started to slow down and I started to, to really start to see them. These are people here. These, these people have whole lives. This is somebody's mom. This is, this is somebody's brother, sister, dad. This is my mom. This is my dad. This is my sister. This is my brother. And as I started to do it, my, lot, my job became easier. Uh, I would, I would, didn't, didn't matter that my back was hurting or because, you know, I don't know if you guys know, but nurses, aides, they, they clean up the patient. They, they uh, dress them. They do everything for them. And it can, it's a very stressful job, especially uh, the work environment can be very toxic. You're often time short staffed. And um, so it's very easy to begin to think these as like, you know, almost like cattle, just like get it done and get to your next job, get to, you know, and um, start to really disconnect from the people around. And, and um, the Lord's like, hey, there's a harvest here. There's so much rich experience to be um, done. And I started to um, love them. Even and it was really easy too to like not like be concerned with their feelings because a lot of them had very very far advanced uh, dementia and it's like oh you know so rationally you could think in, in the very depths of my subconscious oh they're not going to remember anyways like oh you know they don't really know what's going on but as I started to treat them with love and and to look into them with value I started to notice something I started to notice that they would become more coherent. They would begin to talk and engage with me. And it was almost like I was seeing the reverse of dementia happen in front of my eyes. And so the love of God, he, it heals all things. It changes all things. It, it makes you into that God speed. Everything um, around you, Eden begins to, to develop and we can reverse the effect. So um, that's my little testimony about seeing people as family, seeing them as miracles. Uh, and, and, and it'll go beyond that to, to where you can see the miracle that God is seeking to do in their life. Amen. Next, 
<coughs> we must uh, actually speak this value. We must tell them, hey, you're worthy. There's, there's people around us who don't hear that ever. <coughs> and we need to go out and we need to tell them. We must choose to see the testimony of God. When we do this, people will respond to the truth about Jesus and they will begin to hope for the very truth that they had in their, their hearts. They'll begin to recognize the hope that they, they were, if only I could see Jesus. That everyone has that seed planted them. If only I could see and know him. They might not know his name is Jesus, but they know that this desires in us in them. And, and when we begin to speak to that, it comes to life. The cry of the inner man becomes to latch on to Jesus. <clears throat> and salvation will come to the city. And I think that's really the word is, is um, you know, how, how, Lord, how do we cause miracles and the manifestation of your, of your, um, your resurrection, <clears throat> of your salvation to come to this house, to come to this city. And it's by starting to esteem others as, as greater than ourselves. It's by seeing Jesus in everyone and recognizing how valuable he is. And also seeing ourselves in that. <clears throat> so um, I had some questions um, that uh, me and James we were. I was kind of uh, kind of mulling it over with him, and I was like, I think there would be some really good questions out of this. Uh, Daniel usually will ask people to, hey, you know, pray about this, ask this uh, to the Lord. Um, so these are the questions we came up with: <clears throat> Is there a value system within your relationships? within your identity, a system that is established, that isn't established and built on the, lo- uh, the love of Jesus. So is there a place in your life that you can recognize may not be built upon the love and value that God has for you? If so, ask the Lord to exchange it. Hey, Lord, would you exchange this? Would you speak into this area of my life, into this relationship Would you speak your love and your value? The next question is, is there someone in your sphere of influence that you can see that may not feel valued? Ask God how you can show them value. Ask them how you can answer the cry of Jesus in their life. Lord, how can I be the Jesus that Zacchaeus is looking for? And uh, that's how we begin to see opportunities of, of, of great ex- experiences with the Lord and, and great ministry. Um, so that's uh, my encouragement and my message to you guys.